Welcome to Manawaker Studios Flash Fiction Podcast. I'm CB Drogi. This week, Moongrave by Andrew Nyberg. I half expect Captain Lee's body to rise up from the gravelly substrate and drift toward the stars while I work. The low G of the moon causes a mismatch in the effort to drive the spade into the ground and the effort to fling the soil over my shoulder, so my movements jerk. If I'm not careful, any one of the motions might tear a muscle or damage a tendon and prevent me from finishing this grave. The ESA will need more than a decade to launch a follow-up expedition here, but I'm young enough that the beam back will end my career and land me in prison. If only we'd landed somewhere decomposition could occur. I wouldn't bother with a burial. Life needs an atmosphere around it for more than the obvious. It's not my fault. I mean, it plainly is, which is why I must bury her. But also, who can operate under these conditions? They janked together as many spacecraft as they could and launched us, three-quarter trained and willy-nilly, to every moon and orbital launch window open for. Humanity's last great hope was more like humanity's last great shotgun blast. If I turned my transmitter to the right frequencies, I'd catch the chatter from at least half a dozen landers around Jupiter as they established base camps around the fab sites. Only a matter of time before teams met tragedy. Of course mine first. So many protocols. So many steps one can muck or miss. And it was just my luck to be conscripted. My daughter was only twelve, so she only kind of understood and the folk back at Mission Command were kind enough to give me regular updates on the divorce proceedings, on Ellen's remarriage. More power to her, I guess. Who wants to be married to a human bullet launching through space at 10,000 miles per hour? My daughter, though, her messages were always sharp, piercing things. More ballistic than me. Conscription's a bitch, am I right? All our hopes go with you, my ass. Now, here I am, on the surface of Themisto, next to Captain Lee's body, and every spadeful of dirt rises in an unnatural arc with ease, drifting back down like falling snow. Places like this don't want humans here. But then again, neither does Earth anymore. As a child, I never understood heat and thirst like I did at launch. I try not to look at Captain Lee's face. My mind keeps telling me she kind of resembles Ellen, but more because she's the only human I've seen in years, more than a connection with any specific feature. I haven't acknowledged that she has a face, since part of her throat sucked out of her mouth and her eyes ruptured. Her eyes were fixed on me just a moment before, full of blame and fear. Standard operating procedure requires 146 pre-excursion checks prior to egress, and exigent mission parameters add another 38. The sequence requires a minimum of four hours to complete, and we'd already been running on fumes from jerry-rigging the crawler to bring us to the artifact site. By the time you hit step 100, you test a circuit or servo or seal, check the box, and hardly process more than information occurred. In a way, this is Lee's fault. We were supposed to complete the fab site initiation and inspection, boot the biosphere regulators, 
and be on our merry way back. Instead, Lee spotted the possible structure coming in on our landing burn. We weren't intended to come here. Just her damn eagle eyes had to catch it. I told her that we should just stay on mission, but she suggested maybe my daughter would forgive me if I discovered alien remains. That caved me. I said go. We beamed the ESA and jerry-rigged the crawler. Without that, I would have seen my daughter before she turned 35. If she'd see me, anyway. I don't know if Ellen would either, but that could have been some nice closure. Instead, I'm burying Lee on Themisto. I disabled her suit transponder, so my hope is that, if and when the colonists arrive, they will be unable to locate her mummified remains. I still don't know what step I missed in the pre-excursion check, and never will. All I know is that exactly two minutes and thirty-six seconds after we exited the crawler, something in her suit failed and she vented her atmo. We were getting our gear out in front of the cave we presumed was the structure entrance when she gasped, straightened, turned to me and said, Come here, now! The word now has never been more urgent. Her tone was ten thousand volt current. I reached her in three steps and she clamped her hands on my shoulders she said. Then, she vented. Her face was clear. She knew I'd missed something. I bet she knew what I missed. I look at her body. Tell me, goddamn you. I wonder how they'll tell her wife. No doubt it will be full of somber pomp. Men with stars on their shoulders, eagles on their sleeves, a folded flag. Her wife was more understanding. Her wife was waiting for her. She would press her lips together, nod grimly, maybe drop that single tear from the middle of her eyelids like in the movies. The admiral would say, I regret to inform you, or on behalf of some shit. Thank God our craft lacks any kind of equipment to bring Lee's body home, for them to expect me to bring her body home. And her suit. No doubt any examination would reveal that I'd missed a step that this death was avoidable. After all, there are 146 primary procedural checks and 38 additional for the exigent circumstances, each tested for a potential source of catastrophic failure. Each was the flip of a switch or the push of a button, checking off a box with a checklist a monkey could complete it. The night before, I'd been rereading the messages from my daughter. The final one ended with her saying, I hope you find something out there. Worth missing my life for. She never directly acknowledged anything I said in the messages I sent back, no matter how many questions I put in my 1,000 character limit transmission. All I have is doubt that she has ever once heard me apologize. I'm sorry, I tell Lee by her half-dug grave. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry! She can't hear me either. I wish I'd said it before she vented, because in that moment, in my heart, I knew it was my fault, too. I'm sorry, I say again. It's going to be more than a decade flying home with no one to say that to but myself. I'll land home on a dying planet that we don't have enough time to plan a proper escape from. The missions like mine are fleas hopping from a swimming dog in a vast ocean. The fate of all mankind, we were told, even though we all know, at best, only a sliver can be saved. 
The children of the conscriptonauts like me are guaranteed spots on the first settlement launches. The thing is, I'm not sure she's my daughter anymore. She's a genetic remnant. Daughter is something that has to live in her heart. I kneel by Lee. I'm sorry, I tell her. Lee is my only family now. Even if we chemically slept in shifts during much of our long flight out, and even if by protocol we hardly interacted. We are a species of two on this tiny moon. It doesn't matter if I missed step 19 or 87. Once again, I let my family down. I look over to the crawler, drag Lee back over to it, and lift her into the cab. The misto's so small, gravity is a fraction of even the moon's. A child could have lifted Lee. Carefully, I straighten her in the shotgun seat so that she gazes into the heart of her discovery. The rigidity of the suit helps keep her upright as I connect the three-point harness straps. This will be better than a shallow grave behind a rock outcropping. The vehicle hums softly as I power it up. I reach over, place my hand on Lee's. Then I drive us back to the cave outside the structure. Whatever built it may well be millions of years gone, but it's the best hope I've got of finding something worth bringing back. Because I alone am not worth return. This has been Moongrave, written by Andrew Nyberg. Manowaker Studios' Flash Fiction Podcast is supported by patrons on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash manowaker to find out more. The Flash Fiction Podcast theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Manowaker Studios' director of Dice is Ben Baston. The podcast is produced, edited, and narrated by me, C.B. Drogi. Thanks for listening. Thank you.